Hey, happy Sunday. Uh, my name is Brian Owen. I'm the lead pastor of Grace City Church. And so if you're new, I uh, just want to say thanks for checking us out and, uh, and watching us in this current format. And so we're, we're in a series called uh, the meta narrative, and so we've been looking at all these kind of various stories all throughout Scripture, and and how we kind of find our place in the story of God. That that all of these kind of Old Testament stories, what we've been looking at, are not they're not um, not uh, kind of broken up stories that that are just kind of going nowhere, but they're actually all kind of interweaved and connected uh, together, and kind of building up towards the the life of Jesus, the early church, and all of these types of things. And so just kind of processing through that together. So today I want to talk about um, what does it mean to have a heart like God? Now, one of the things, as, so as I've grown and gotten older, one of the things I've grown to appreciate um, is the, the way I see my personality in my children. And so when, when you have kids, so our sons, one of our sons is two, his name is Judson, and sweet little boy, like you don't, I mean, he's, you're like feed him, change his diaper, you know, just take care of him, right? Don't let him play with knives. I mean, that's a, it's a, for the most part, I mean, that's what you're trying to do with him. So they're not uh, a whole lot there, but as our daughter has gotten older, uh, she's eight, she'll be nine uh, later this year, uh, I can begin to see areas in her life where she's very um, similar to me. I can see where she's picked up traits from both myself and then from my wife, uh, Katie. And sometimes it's good. And you're like, man, that's great. And then other times you're like, wow, that is me in a negative sense. But, but honestly, really at the end of the day, I want, as my kids get older, um, I want people to look at them and say, man, they, they have the heart of their dad. They have the heart of their mom. And, and if someone's to say that about them, what does that mean? That means that um, they value what we value. They live their life in a way that we live our life. They're, they're mimicking the household that they grew up in. And so now that could be, that could be in some good ways, or you could, you could say it in a way that, that's bad. You could say, man, they have the heart of their father, and that could be angry, impatient, unhappy. You know, I mean, it, it kind of works both of those ways. And so how do we, in the same way God is, is calling us to have a heart like his? He wants us to respond to the way that he responds. He wants us to value the things that he values. And so I want to look at today someone who literally the statement, a man after God's own heart, was actually made about. And this guy, um, his name is David. Now, what I want to do is I want to look at uh, King Saul and King David. And so if you've been tracking along with us at all, um, Israel has gotten to this place where they've requested a king. And so the first king for the Israelites is a guy named Saul. Now we're going to look at Saul. We're going to look at this kind of first king of Israel and we're going to see his deficiencies uh, that he has. We're going to see that um, from the very, honestly, from the very beginning of Saul's reign, it wasn't going well uh, for the Israelites. And then from Saul uh, comes a guy named David, King David. Now, King David, in the history of the Israelites, he is the one that the, the Jewish people are, are, were looking at and saying, man, he is the guy. This is the king. Even after David, they were looking back on David and saying, his rule, that's the, the pinnacle of our people. The way that he loved and led and, and fought our battles and do, did all of these types of things, he was the guy. And so the statement literally about him is that he, he was a man after God's own heart. Now, how do we see, because here, here's what I'm talking about. How do we see this kind of play out? What, 
what trait of David really shows us, like how do we, how do we see this kind of manifest itself? And what, how do we best observe the fact that David's heart is one that is in line and connected with God? Because lots of things are said about David. I mean, um, he's, he's a king, he's a general, he's a leader, He's a musician. I mean, a lot of the Psalms were written by uh, King David. Uh, you, you could say he had a kind of a healthy emotional balance in, in the Psalms. He he's, can, has an ability to process out kind of what he's feeling and he gets to a good place. You could say he's, he's brave. He's courageous. He's uh, strong. I mean, we see him doing some remarkable things throughout the Old Testament in battle and all these types of things. And so we could, we could look at any of these things and say, hey, here's evidence that he's um, he, he has a heart after God. But what I want to talk about today, I think it's something that's not talked about a lot. And it's something, that honestly, I feel like the Lord was just kind of pressing in on me this week as I'm studying. And so here's what I want to look at. I think his, him having a heart aligned with God is best observed in his continual posture of submission to God. All throughout his life, David is, is submitting himself to God. He's, he's placing himself under um, the leadership of God, the leadership of God. And that, that's been a reoccurring theme, this idea that we have to le- allow God to lead. We have to trust him and lead. Okay, well, let's look at, I'm going to kind of, we're going to do almost like a character study of a compare and contrast between these two. And so I'm going to be putting out scriptures. Uh, you can write them down, go back to them later, but I'm just going to give you permission uh, today. The pastor is giving you permission permission to just like chill, relax, take it in, listen, Look, let's look at the scriptures together. A lot of scripture we'll be looking at. Um, and, uh, and so you don't have to write a ton here. Okay, so 1 Samuel uh, chapter 13, uh, verses, uh, chapter 13, starting in verse 13. Uh, it says, Samuel said to Saul, you have been foolish. So what's happened is Saul has sinned against God. And so Samuel is the prophet coming to him. And he says, Samuel said to Saul, you have been foolish. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you, right? A refusal to submit. Um, it is at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel. Now, we say this over and over again. Human flourishing is directly tied to obedience to God. If you want to flourish as a human being and as a person, obedience to God is, is, is an essential thing. We tell our daughter when she gets in trouble, we always say, it's better to what? It's better to obey always tied to obedience. Verse 14, here it is. But now, listen to what Samuel says to Saul. But now your reign will not endure. The Lord, here's the key, the Lord has found a man after his own heart and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not done what the Lord commanded. There it is. There is the verse Samuel says to Saul. There is another guy who the Lord has found, and he has the heart of God. Okay, so let's look at, um, in a lot of ways, this is kind of a microcosm of Saul's life, this, this section where he's, he sinned and rebelled against God, and now he's experiencing. But I want to look at, what, what all do we know about Saul? And then we'll dive in and see what we know about um, Paul, because Saul, is a, his posture is a refusal to submit to God into leadership of God. But a couple of things here. Okay, here's, here's what we know about him. Again, we're going to jump around. Um, he didn't, Saul did not want to be in service to God. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 10, uh, 21 and 22, it says, but when they searched for him, so they're looking for him to make him king. 
This is the beginning of Saul's life. It says, but when they searched for him, they could not find him. They again inquired of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord replied, there he is, hidden among the supplies. So Saul's uh, introduction to the people of Israel as the king of Israel is what? His hesitancy to be in service. He's actually hiding. Uh, he, he, he doesn't rejoice in his selection, the selection made by God for himself. He actually hides. He shrinks back from it and says, no, 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 I, I don't want to do that. We see that in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Uh, we know he, didn't, he wasn't a person who essentially waited on God. This is 1 Samuel 13, 6 through 11. Uh, the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble because the troops were in a difficult situation. They hid in caves and thickets and among rocks. So this is a battle situation where the, the Philistines are pressing in on God's people. And Saul is the king at this point. He's, he's leading them. And he says, Saul, however... Uh, was still at Gilgal, and all of his troops were gripped by fear. They're seeing everything that's happened. That's verse 7 of 1 Samuel 13. Uh, verse 8, he waited seven days for the appointed time that Samuel had set, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the troops were deserting him. Uh, so they're, they're leaving. They're saying, we're, we're out of here. So here's the situation. Saul is set up in this battle. He's waiting on Samuel. So traditionally, God's people would not, would not rush into battle um, without God on their side. They knew, the Israelites knew that God fought their battles. He was the one who won the battles for them. And so they're waiting on the prophet Samuel to come along uh, to bless them, to let them know that God is with them and for them and send them out to battle. So this is what, this is the situation that we have. And, and Saul is, is waiting on him and, and people are beginning to leave. And Saul has a choice here. I mean, Saul could have sat there and said, no, we, we wait. Let those who are leaving leave and go do their thing. We're waiting on Samuel. We're waiting on the blessing of God to go into battle. Very much good. Okay, verse 9, it says, So Saul said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And then he offered, then he offered the, uh, the burnt offering. Now, what he just did, a king just sought to fulfill the role of a prophet and of a priest. And that was not allowed. And he did it, Saul did it, because he was refusing to wait on God. Refusing to wait on God's timing. Didn't want to submit, didn't, didn't want to wait. Well, ultimately what happens, verse 10, just as he finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. So Saul went out to greet him, and Samuel asked, what have you done? This, this story in particular of Saul's life is, is actually where um, where God says through Samuel that you've lost the kingship. Your refusal to wait on God, your direct rebellion against God is now costing you um, your kingship. It, it's, it's over with for you. Okay, so he, he didn't want to wait on God. He didn't want to trust God in the waitings. Uh, third thing that we see about him, he was vengeful and he was controlling. First uh, Samuel chapter 14 uh, verse 24, the men are in battle, they're at war, and, uh, and an enemy has come upon them. And, and Saul is, is angry because he, he wants to take vengeance uh, in this particular battle. And see, look what he says to his troops, those are, are around him. The men that are fighting on his behalf, he, he, said, he gives a command. He says, the man who eats before evening, before, now here's the key, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies, is cursed. So none of the troops tasted any food. 
So what did he say? He said, as long as I'm miserable, the rest of you will be miserable. Instead of looking at his troops and saying, eat, take plenty, you've been working hard, you're going to need the strength. He says, you will not eat until my, my vengeance is met. He was a vengeful and controlling person. This speaks to his, his nature. This speaks directly to the nature of Saul. Fourth thing that we know about him, he was imprisoned by what others think about him and not what God had said about him. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24, uh, it, it says this, Saul answered Samuel. This actually is kicking back to the story where he went ahead and did the offering and he wasn't supposed to. It says that Saul answered Samuel, I have sinned. I have transgressed the Lord's command and your words. And what is the excuse that he gives for, for why he did this? Because I was afraid of the people. I obeyed them. He was imprisoned by what others thought about him. He, he wasn't a man that, that, that trusted what God said about him, that was going to submit to what God said about him. He, he was more willing to submit to what others said and what other people believed about him. Okay, next thing that we know about Saul. See the case that's kind of building here for him? I mean, it, it's not a good... Uh, is not a good kingship here. And he, he, uh, he reigned for 42 years over God's people. It was an old man. He was 30 when he came in and reigned for a long time. And it just never quite worked out. First uh, Chronicles chapter 10, 13 and 14. And here's the final thing about Saul. He was ultimately at the end of the day, Saul was unfaithful to God. It says this, First um, Chronicles 10, 13 and 14. Saul died for his unfaithfulness to the Lord because he did not keep the Lord's word. He even, this is where he got to at the end of his life, he even consulted a medium for guidance, but he did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David's son, Jesse, which is who, who we're going to get to in a second. At the end of the day, here's the, here's the point for Saul. Ultimately, Saul saw submission to God as a burden he was unwilling to bear, not a freedom that he could embrace. He said, I'm not willing, I'm not willing to take that on. I'm not willing to su submit to God. I won't bear it. And, and, and what, what God is saying is, no, in your submission to me, you experience a type of freedom that you otherwise wouldn't. You're actually free when you submit. But Saul said, no, not interested. Okay, so what do we know about David? If that's kind of the resume of Saul, but we, want, we don't want to be like Saul. Now you may could hear some of that and go, man, I've, got some of, I've got, actually got some of that in me. That, that, I think that's a healthy thing to look at that. So what is the, what's the kind of the resume, a track record of David here? And a couple of thoughts here. Again, we're going to be in a couple of different scriptures. First thing that we learn about David his interior, this is so important, his interior was more impressive than his exterior. Uh, this is in 1 Samuel chapter 16, 6 and 7, the first time that we're introduced to David. It says, when they arrived, uh, Samuel saw uh, Elah uh, and said, certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before him. So he's looking at uh, one of the, the sons here and he, he's, he's saying, uh, this must be the one. Now, we, we finally got in the guy, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I've rejected him. So he said, Nope, that's not the son. That's not the son that you, you thought. And then he, he, here's the kind of the, the pivot here. He says this, Humans do not see 
what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. See, in God's kingdom, the rules change. Uh, He isn't looking for the most popular, the most attractive, the most intellectual. Um, He's not looking for the wealthiest, the ones that can um, gain the the most influence. What, What he's saying is, Ultimately, what God is saying is what matters most is what's on the the interior of the heart. The the inner life is what is is important. that's that's, That's how I know David is going to be a man after my own heart because I can see his interior. And, it, and it's, so, it's, it's so fascinating to me because I've been thinking about this and just, and I think about all the time that we spend on the exterior things and, and uh, in a lot of ways are important, right? But we just spend a, an unbelievable amount of time curating an image about, uh, an exterior image about ourselves that, that we hope is true. And, and so we, we do a lot of right things. We go to the gym, we, we eat right, we take the perfect picture, you know, we do all of these types of things and, and we spend so little time. I, I have a tendency um, to spend so little time working on the interior uh, of my heart. And it's really the, out of the interior of my heart that submission to God will happen. Uh, honestly, when I focus on the, the exterior, on the things on the outside, that, that's usually out of a desire to, to boast me and to boast my image. And, and God is saying, no, no, no. It's God sees the interior. He sees the inside. And so we know that his interior was, was more impressive than his exterior. Um, what, else, what else do we know uh, about David? Um, David was willing to serve earthly authorities. He was willing to submit himself to even those who have just authority on earth. First uh, Samuel 16, 21 and 23. This story is so fascinating to me. It says, when David came to Saul and entered his service, Saul loved him very much. And David became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse. So Jesse is the dad of David and all these other sons. So Saul sent word to Jesse, let David remain in my service for he has found favor with me. And whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would pick up his lyre and play. And Saul uh, would then be relieved and feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. So here, here's the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16. All of 1 Samuel, um, you, should just, you should begin in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and go all the way, honestly, go all the way to 2 Samuel. It's a really fascinating kind of, eclipse of everything that is going on. But here's what we know happens. Um, Samuel comes, he anoints David as king of Israel. Uh, in, in a kind of a secret way, he comes and anoints uh, David. And so then David is anointed as the, the future king of Israel. And, and then what happens is um, Saul is looking for someone. He, he, now that the Spirit of God has left him, he is is overtaken, uh, what the, the scriptures say, is an evil spirit. And so they're looking for someone to soothe him. And, and someone in his, his kingdom, in his monarchy, goes, hey, there's actually, um, there's actually a kid named David who's a very talented musician. We should see if we can get him, and, and maybe that could help you. And so we pick up there in 16, 21 through 23. This is actually it. David has now answered the call of the monarchy of, of Saul as the future anointed king of Israel. And can you imagine that trip for David to go from being anointed 
by the prophet Samuel. I mean, when you had a prophet come into your town like Samuel, if, you're, if you look at back at the text in that story, when he's coming into the town, the leaders actually say to Samuel, do you come in peace? They're afraid of Samuel. And Samuel says, I come in peace. And so he, David was just anointed by this prophet who even who in King Saul was called to, to wait upon. And was anointed by him. And now he's going to serve the king. For what? To be his musician. To, to play for him whenever he's feeling that. I mean, can you imagine like what must be going on in David's head as he's t- taking that walk and, and going, man, I can't, I can't figure out what just went down with Samuel. Now I'm being called to the king's house. And, and I'm not really sure. I, I think it's important to notice that, that God's anointing on David's life did not immediately equate to influence, power, and position. It didn't immediately equate to that. His life, he, he, his life, and, and David was still committed to a life of submission, to, to following God. And, and the way he was going to follow God in this moment was to submit to King Saul and to help King Saul. Third thing that we know about David, um, he exhibited tremendous courage in the face of opposition. Uh, a lot of you probably know this story. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, 33 through 37, there's a fight going on with the Philistines. There's a giant there that is mocking God's people. David comes along. He's asking questions about this giant, why no one's taking him out. Uh, his brothers begin to rib him, basically, and, and others begin to be like, dude, get out of here. You got no business being here. And, and Saul hears about it and calls David himself. And, and Saul says this, uh, but Saul replied, you can't go fight the Philistine. David's like, I'm going to go fight this Philistine. I'm going to go do battle with this guy. And, and Saul's like, you're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. And, and David, verse 34, I love this answer. David answered Saul, now your servant's been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down. I rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, now I would grab it by its fur strike it down and, and kill it. He, it. he is the original Tiger King, essentially, is what David is. And then in verse 36, he says, your, your servant has killed lions and, and bears. Uh, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. And then, and then here it is. He says, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. And then David said, the Lord has rescued me from the paw of the lion and from paw of the bear. And he will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David had huge faith in God. He had a huge trust in God. That God would, it wasn't based on David's strength. It was based on David's understanding of who God is. And that God was for his people. And this Philistine was coming against God's people. And so David went out to do battle with him. Tremendous courage in the face of opposition. Uh, David had a humble spirit we see in 1 Samuel 18, um, verse 18, uh, Saul is actually trying to trick David into getting him to marry one of his uh, daughters and David's, his first daughter, and David responds this way. He says, and David responded, who am I and what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? He's like, I'm not great enough to, to even marry your daughter. My family's not great enough. I mean, what, what kind of... What kind of spirit is this guy? I mean, he killed, uh, he killed the Philistine giant. I mean, his popularity was increasing in Israel. And still he goes, no, I'm not 
not gonna, I'm not gonna marry, um, I'm not gonna marry your your daughter. Now he ends up he ends up marrying another daughter of of Saul. He, so he gets out of this situation where Saul is essentially trying to trick him, and then he gets in another situation with another daughter, and, and Saul just says, "No, I'm I'm begging you. I want as the king, I'm asking you to do this." And David says, "Well, essentially, I'll do this if you." Uh, it, it, I'll only do this for, you know, I, you got to require something of me. And so Saul gives David a task. Um, and, and so he goes and does it and then, and then brings it back and then ultimately marries uh, one of his other daughters. But on the front, he's like, no, 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 I don't, I'm not going to do that. Okay, another thing that, that we see, we, he recognized, I love this about David, um, he recognized God's goodness in his life. He had a, a posture of gratitude. Second Samuel 7 18 through 22, it says, Then King David went in, sat at the Lord's presence, and said, Who am I, Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? What you have done so far with a little thing to me, Lord God, for you have also spoken about your servant's house in a distant future. And this is a revelation for mankind, Lord God. What more can David say to you? You know your servant, Lord God. Because of your word and according to your will, you have revealed all these great things to your servant. This is why you are great, Lord God. There is no one like you, and there is no God beside you, as we have heard. Uh, and, and there is no God besides you, as all we have heard confirms. He, he, a posture of gratitude to God. He says, God, what, what am I that you would do this? And, and where does this stem from? It stems from... His life commitment to the submission of God, to be used by God. Now, that's a flyover. Listen, there's a lot there. That is a, that's like a flyover version of Saul and David in a, in a you know, 30, 40 minute kind of deal here that I'm trying to get, kind of get your grasp on. But you're getting me to kind of pick up here the difference between Saul and, and David's life. These two extraordinary um, these two extraordinary kings. And, and, but here's the truth about David. David 100% exemplified the heart of God. Um, but but even, himself, even he uh, couldn't keep up with the perfection of God. And what do we know about the, the story of David? If you go to 2 Samuel um, chapter 12, and there's a story there where, where David uh, is looking over his balcony, sees a woman named Bathsheba, is desirous of her, not his wife, is, is actually the commander of his army's wife. And David calls to her and sleeps with her and, and, and sins. And then not only does he have adultery with Bathsheba, but then he takes her husband and intentionally sends him to the front line of battle to have him killed to try and cover up his sin because he, he ultimately impregnated um, Bathsheba. So adultery and murder. I mean, even for all of, of David's incredible traits, he still couldn't, he still couldn't live up to, to the perfection of God. He still, um, he is still essentially was just a man that, that, that wasn't, wasn't perfect. Now, we can read this and go, man, David, um, David just seems like an incredible guy. I mean, he, he obviously had some screw-ups, but man, like how did, he, how did he ultimately live this way? Like that feels like a yoke that is too, that's too heavy. I mean, that, 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 this feels like too difficult of a thing. Well, I have incredible news for you. First Samuel, I, did, 
I didn't, um, we didn't see this yet, but this is so important to the story of Saul and David. 1 Samuel chapter 16, 13 through 14. Uh, I want you to see this. So uh, we're actually going to put this up on the screen. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. Okay, so here, here is what, what happens on the front end before we get into um, all this. When Samuel came to anoint David, what the text tells us is that upon his anointing of David, that the spirit of God, I mean, you, you, we're, we're seeing that, that when he anointed him, that the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from what? From that day forward. How, how was it that David could live the life that he lived? The way, now he didn't do it perfectly. We see it with Bathsheba. We have to recognize that. And we have to recognize that he was still, you know, free to make choices and, and free to live. He, he chose to sin. That, this wasn't the only time that he had fallen. But how was it that he was enabled to live in the way that he, that he could do it, that he could experience the, the winds in battle and, and, and all these types of things. Well, we know it was because the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him. It was with him. God's Spirit was with him. Okay, 1 Samuel 16. So that's verse 13. Now look at verse 14 of the same chapter right after this happened. Verse 14 says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. See the, the, see the contrast and the switch here in the kingdom. Samuel anoints David. God's spirit comes upon him. While at the same time, the spirit removes himself from Saul. And, and we see Saul throughout the rest of his life from this moment on. The rest of his life, he, he, he struggles through his kingship, his leadership, he's, he's sinful. He's full of a lot of those things that we were looking at. I mean, some of that was before this, and, and a lot of it was after. He, was, he, he went on a, a multiple-year journey, uh, or multiple-year kind of campaign to kill David. I mean, a lot of the Psalms of David, if you're reading the Psalms of David, and he's talking about, you know, um, God, where are you? And, and being, you know, hidden and, and afraid. He's saying that because Saul is, after, is trying to kill him and David's hiding. That's, that's actually what's going on here. Uh, and, and that's because the, the Spirit has now left um, Saul. And here's the good news for us today. Right? Because how do we, how do we make sense of this Old Testament story of, of two kings and their interactions with one another? And, and how does that connect? Um, how, how ultimately does that connect with us? Well, at the end of the day, it, it was really, it, it was actually God who was working in David not simply David working for God. It was God's Spirit put upon David to enable him to live the way that he was living. And, and I have great news. The, the New Testament, one of the wonderful things that the New Testament says is true about God's people is that when we become followers of the way of Jesus, there, there's a, obedience is necessary. There's a, a new radical way of living is necessary. But one of the most incredible gifts that we receive 
is the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is why um, Jesus says in John chapter 16, 7 through 8, he's, he's preparing to leave. He's working his way up to the crucifixion and, and leaving his disciples. And he says this, Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. This is a mind-blowing statement. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Do, do you know what that is? That is power. That's why um, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says to the early church, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, uh, in Samaria, uh, and to the ends of the earth. That is what? That is power. See, God is not calling us to simply um, tap into uh, a life of obedience and submission to, to Him. He's not saying, uh, have my a heart of, of me by kind of white-knuckling it and, and working hard and being a good uh, moral person. He's saying, no, I'm going to, upon your confession of Christ as Savior and Lord, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who's going to bring about power in your life. Now, we can work against that. We can fill our mind with, with pointless things. We can distract ourselves from that. I mean, man, if anything, um, what, what I need, what we need right now in the midst of this quarantine and self-isolation is, is a sense of power from the Holy Spirit. And, and I, I think in a lot of ways, um, God is doing a, a lot of great work in uncovering in all of our lives, uncovering the things that we have a tendency um, to trust in and believe in and, and, and really revealing to us, I, man, I'm enough. The spirit I give you is enough. Paul says, final thought here on this idea of the spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 12. Now God has revealed these things to us by the spirit. Since the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Verse 12. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. What does it say there? It says, the Spirit reveals. The Spirit gives us insight into who God is. See, the, the beauty of the New Testament the beauty of, um, of post-crucifixion, of post-resurrection of Jesus is that we can have a heart after God. We can, like David, submit ourselves to God. How? Based on the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. He does the work. He enables us to do that. And, and so maybe you're here and... Um, and you've been you kind of hearing some of this, and you've you've really recognized some areas in your life where you refuse to submit to God. And you've said this this area is is off limits. I'm not going to submit to to Him. And you need to repent. And even even today, wherever you're at, you need to do business with God. You say, God, I'm I'm sorry. I'm, I'm I've refused to submit in that way. Maybe you're here and you're listening, and you've recognized some of yourself in Saul. 
you've, you've seen some impatience in your life. Maybe you're vengeful. Maybe you're imprisoned by what others think. You, you, need, to, you need to own that before God and recognize that before God and, and ask Him through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of, of Jesus, you're one living in the way of Jesus, you need to ask the Spirit and help change that, help reveal that to me. Help, help, it, maybe you don't see it. Maybe, maybe your prayer today should just be, Spirit, will you search me and reveal to me the areas where I've refused to submit? I want, to have, I, want to, I, want to, I want it to be said of me that I look like my dad, that I respond like my dad, that I value what my dad has. Can you help me? Like, Spirit, can you help me do that? Maybe you're listening and you're not a follower of Jesus. You're not a, a Christian. Um, but, but maybe you have a, des, a desire um, in your heart that's, that's not been, it's not been satisfied. Um, it's, it's not been met. Can I just say to you, the only way to experience true joy and satisfaction and contentment in your life is through a relationship with Jesus. And so maybe you need to trust God today. Maybe you need to accept Christ um, as Savior and Lord. You need to admit your sin before God the Father. You need to believe in Jesus and, and commit your life to Him. And, and upon, that, upon doing that work, the Spirit of God comes in your life and enables you to live in some pretty remarkable ways. Listen, I've met some just incredible Christians, to unbelievable Christians, and, and it's, it's not because of their sheer willpower. It is the Spirit of God living in them that enables them to change the way that they've changed. That's, that's true of me, man. God has changed me through the power of His Spirit, and maybe you need that as well. Maybe God's looking and pressing upon you to change as well. I want to invite you to trust Christ uh, today, and you, you can let us know. You can message us on even on this format. You can let us know how you want to do that. Let, let, me, let me pray for us today. Thanks uh, again for joining us. Um, God, thank you. Thank you that, um, that you love us. Thank you that you want us to have a heart like you. And not only do you want us to have a heart like you, but you give us your spirit that enables us. God, would it, would it be said of us that we're like David? Um, not, not that we have some moral character like David, um, not even that, that David had all the just incredible moral character in, in the world, but, but it would be said that we're, we have a heart like you, that we have a heart after your heart, God. And we ask for your help in this. We, God, I ask that your Holy Spirit, in the space that we have right now, where we don't have access to a lot of the things that we love and enjoy and, and things that are genuinely good, God, would your Spirit just reveal more areas in our life where you want to see good, healthy work done, where you want to see submission done, and then, and then give us the courage to be able to do that, God. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have these stories um, given to us, God, that they can provide as, a, as not just um, a guide and a, and a compass and instruction book, God, but they really help us to see your heart and how good of a God that you are and how much you love us and how much you've pursued us. And God, we, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, uh, thanks for joining us uh, today. Listen, I, I know if you're like me, you have, hit, you have thoroughly hit the quarantine wall. And, and so can I just reiterate uh, with Haley, listen, um, 
don't, you don't have to live in isolation. Uh, continue to push in to um, resources for our church, whatever that looks like, um, house church, all these types of things. Continue to do that um, and do the hard work of, of going to prayer rooms and all these kind of things. Don't, please don't live in isolation. Let's begin to, let's push through this wall together and work through this wall together. And the only other thing I need to let you know about is uh, we've set up a, a COVID-19 relief fund. And a lot of that work, we're partnering with the Boston Boys and Girls Club. Uh, if you haven't given to that, but you want to do that, please go online and do that. Go to gracecityboston.com. Uh, you can hit the give button at the top. Uh, that'll take you to our online portal inside of that page. And then you'll see COVID-19 relief fund. If you want to give to that, we want to be able to help supply them with diapers and, and food and gift cards for families for the restaurants, food areas where they can go get some food. And so please do that. Uh, we'd love to, to say to them, man, Grace City, cares about you, like God loves you, and so we love you and want to help with that. And so be sure to do that. Now Haley's going to close us out.